Oh God, we sang that confession, yet through the life and death of Jesus, love's mighty spirit now as then can make for us a world of difference as faith and hope are born again. Intuitively, we sense the truth of that line. Somehow through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, there is all that we long for most deeply through Him and in Him. As we worship a little longer on this day of new beginnings, through Holy Writ, speak to us, engage our thinking, and draw us to the one we wish to journey this new year with, our Savior and Master Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. I want to ask you a question right here at the beginning. If Jesus could stand at this very moment, right there in front of you, I mean physically stand in front of you, and he asked you a question, I'm curious what your answer would be to him. Now this is the question. Stood right there, right here, right now, Nail-scarred hands outstretched, and he asks you, what do you want me to do for you this new year? I wonder what kind of answer you'd give. What do you want me to do for you this new year? I've got to tell you, every time, really truly, every time I come to that moment in that wonderful, familiar gospel story, and he asked the question. Every time I tell you the truth, my heart, it it just quickens. It it leaps within me. I say, oh, Jesus, I I wish you would ask me that right now. I wish you would ask me that question. I'll tell you what I want. I want to go to that story. Blind old Bartimaeus. It's one of the great stories of Scripture found in three of the gospels, the synoptics. I want to go to the story today with you, just for a few New Year's moments. Can we do that? The Gospel of St. Mark, I love the dramatic version there, and that's where you get his name, by the way. It's only in Mark's account. Uh, The Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10. Now today, you can't cheat today. No way. You say, well, I'm just going to read it off the screen. Sorry, can't not. Because today, our uh, PowerPoint man, God bless him, Kleber Gonzalez, you know, he, I said, Clever, take one more weekend off because we're beginning a big series next Sabbath. Big, Clever, and I need you next Sabbath. So just take, your, your daughter Isabella is only six weeks old. Enjoy the Sabbath off. So find it, do it the old-fashioned way. Let your fingers do the walking through the white pages here. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Now, I, I, I probably need to append that comment with this. If there are any of you particularly gifted in the area of being a techie, you you know how to run a computer, and you have a gift of being able to take PowerPoint screens and turning them into something that will hold us as we worship. I wish one of you would, or two or three of you would, call me here at the office, 6565, and and let me know that you would be available. Not every other week. No, no, Clever's going to still be our main man, but we just would like to have somebody else to be a part of the journey. If you have the gift, give, me, give us a call here at the church office, please. Okay, we'll, we'll read this right out of the Bible. And mine's going to be, by the way, this is the New Living Translation. Would it be all right if I read this? NLT, New Living Translation. I like, 
its rendition of this story. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And so they reached Jericho. Now, a lot happens in Jericho, and you have to read Luke to figure out what happens in Jericho. Mark says, I'm not interested in what's going on in Jericho. I want you to know what happened that day when Jesus left Jericho for the last time. Because he's going to go up from Jericho. Jericho really is down low. Jericho is five miles from the Jordan River. I was in Jericho in the summer of 1998. It is a beautiful palm-perimetered city. In fact, Herod loved the city, Jericho. Herod built his winter palace in Jericho. So we're not talking about some little backwater joint. This is a nice town. But Jesus is leaving Jericho for the last time. Calvary awaits him in a matter of days. And as he is leaving the city, Mark picks up the, gospel, picks up the story there. Mark, by the way, got his story, as we now know and believe, from Peter, St. Peter, old big fisherman Peter. So we know it's based on an eyewitness account. So Mark says, as the crowd is leaving Jericho. Now, I don't know how big that crowd was. Did you see the Rose Bowl? I imagine there are more than a few of you that might have watched the Rose Bowl on Thursday night. 93,456 was it? What was it? Nine. That is a big crowd. 93,000. Well, we're not talking, you know, it's big by today's standards. But it's not, it's not just a handful of... Uh, interested adherents tagging along behind his sandal feet. We're talking about, Mark, make sure that we know it is a large crowd. And as we just noted a moment ago in our children's story, large crowds are noisy places. You may you know it's just the laughter, the grunting, the heaving, the pushing, the sea of humanity. Jesus is in the middle and there's somebody at the gate of the city because they're always, that's where they were kept. They were kept at the gates. Well, it's a good strategic place to be because if you need a handout, bakshish, as they say in some cultures, if you need a gift, be where they're coming and going. So that's where he is that day. A blind beggar, this is still verse 46, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road as Jesus was, was going by. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. You know, of course, about the blind. Nature, God through nature, graciously grants to a blind individual an acuity, a heightened sense, another sense. And what, what, what is the heightened sense that the blind get? They lose the seeing, but they get what? Oh, you're right. It's the healing. Just, the, just this, able to hear this pin, kind of like the Sprint commercial. You know, the pin drops. Bing, bing. They can hear it. Everybody else misses it. But it's that gift. God is, even in the midst of human tragedy, always trying to make it up to us, no matter what Lucifer has done in your life. That's the way God is. He just tries to find, I, I, I want to make this up to you. I'll help you in another way. Let me help you with your hearing. So Bartimaeus, he can't see a thing. He can smell the dust that's being kicked into the, that glorious, sunny afternoon sky. So he's all choked up. He knows it. He can tell there's a crowd. He can hear the crowd. But he picks up, because of his acuity, he picks up a name that is re being repeated over and over and over again. And by the way, this is not the first time Bartimaeus has heard the name. If it had been the first time, he, we would not have this story. Somebody has told him once upon a time about Jesus. But it, it, didn't, get in, it didn't sink in and he didn't know that Jesus anyway, and it might have taken another somebody and another somebody, and sometimes that's just the way it works in life. It takes a whole bunch of somebodies to tell about Jesus before it finally sinks in. Today it sinks in, and he realizes 
in this dusty throng and sea of humanity, there is a man I must meet. A young healer, teacher, preacher named Jesus of Nazareth. And so Bartimaeus, with another sense he has that is very strong, called voice, begins to interrupt the crowd. I love this story. Look at verse 47. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus from Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout out. He doesn't just say, whisper, whisper, whisper. He began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's obviously clear from the context that it wasn't just one shout. He shouts it over and over and over again until finally, uh, I like this too, they looked down at him in verse... Verse 48, and they say, be quiet. The Greek word is actually the same word Jesus uses earlier in the Gospel of Mark when, when Jesus stands up in the little boat, you remember the boat in the storm, and he says, oh, King James says, peace. It's be quiet, be still. I mean, if they were speaking today's language, you know what they would have said to him? They would have said, shut up. No, actually, that's not how they'd say it. You see, I have a teenager in our home. Kristen, you know, 15 years old. And I have learned. You, you didn't know this, but I'm just passing this on you because you'll be very glad to have this information. This young generation, do you know what? They say, shut up now. They, my, my mother said, boy, shut your, don't you ever say, hush. She didn't say shut up. She's, hush, don't you ever say shut up. I was, you, you never, Dwight, you never say shut up. But this younger generation, do you know what they say? They go, shut up. When I heard that the first time, I said, why, why? But they don't mean be quiet. They mean, shut up. Wow, that's great. What, what is this craziness? Shut up. Well, this wasn't that shut up. This was shut. No, shut up. That's it. You can't even do it right anymore. Generations, they ruin everything. All right. Be quiet, verse 48. Be quiet, some of the people yelled at him. The New Living says they yelled at him, but ah, oh, thank you, Bartimaeus. But he only shouted louder, "Son of David, have mercy on me!" Leave Jesus' name off now. Son of David, have mercy on me. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, you can never pray that prayer, but that it is not heard by the one it is addressed to. You can never pray the word. You don't have to shout them. You can have the most pitiable, pathetic little voice, and you can whimper it, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Every time, every time that prayer gets heard, go straight, go straight to the heart of the one being addressed. You know, uh, Reformation historians tell us that when John Huss, you remember the name John Huss? Does that kind of ring a bell to you? John Huss, great bohemian pastor, and theologian John Huss, when he was being tied to the stake in Constance by the lake, I've been to the very place, I've been to the very spot where they burned that man to ashes. Stood there, I have a picture in my Bible. Stood right there with that great man. John Huss, the precursor of the Protestant Reformation along with John Wycliffe from England. In fact, Martin Luther once exclaimed, Oh, mercy, we are all Hussites. He had that kind of influence. John Huss, as they were tying his, his arms behind the stake, tying his feet, and as they lit the faggot, the tinder and the kindling, as they lighted it, Re Reformation historians tell us that John Huss 
began to pray and sing simultaneously. And what he prayed and sung were the words of old Bartimaeus. And he began to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And eyewitnesses have passed on through tradition that that man, that glorious martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ, sang those words until the final flames licked up around his throat and his face and he died. You'd never pray that. You would, you would never pray that prayer. But that Jesus, don't you think all of heaven was bending over at the throne? If they bent over with Stephen, don't you think they were bending over? Jesus stood up from the throne as John was being burned to death. He said, Shh, stop the music. Listen, he's praying. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know what kind of journey you have in front of you for the year 2002, but I can assure you there is no more appropriate prayer for you to pray this new year when you need Him. Jesus, Son of David, oh, have mercy on me. And oh, I love this. Jesus, when Jesus heard Him, verse 49, when Jesus heard Him, you know what, folks? The sweetest sound in all the human language to you is your own name. Isn't that right? Everybody's ear is tuned to hear his or her own name. If I'm in a crowd and I'm needing to get a hold of you and you're, you're, you're 100 yards away and I say, Hey, you, will you turn around? But if somebody in a, in a throttled mass of humanity on the corner of, of New York, if somebody in the middle of that crowd calls your name, what do you do? Just like that, you pivot on that dime. And Jesus, his ear always tuned to the prayer that breathes his name. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, Tell him, bring him here. The whole massive sea jostles to a stop. They're bumping into Jesus from every side. Jesus said, Hold, stop, time out. I heard somebody calling my name. I want you to bring whoever that is calling my name. Bring him to me. He's that ready. He's that ready when you cry out. Oh, boy. So they called the blind man. This is verse 49. So they called the blind man, Bartimaeus. Cheer up, they said. Come on. He's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. Let us lay aside every weight that does so easily beset us. When you're going to Jesus, throw everything away. Throw it aside. Just let go. And so he threw aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. And here's where my heart does a little flutter Every time I read this story, Jesus looks into the face of this man who cannot see his face. And you know how blind people are. They're looking. They're not looking, but they're looking. And Jesus watches that moving, rotating face with eyeballs that cannot see him. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus said, go around like this, going around. But when Jesus accosts him with that question, that head stops. There are no eyeballs that can focus. They might not even be under the control of the muscles in his cranium. But he stops and he looks in the direction of the voice and he says, Rabboni, which means my master, my rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Big grin on Jesus' face. Go your way. Your faith has healed you. And instantly, the blind man could see 
And then he followed Jesus down the road. The end. I love that story, don't you? I want to ask the question again. If Jesus were standing in front of you this morning, right now, right in front of you, and he asked the same question that he has just accosted uh, Bartimaeus with, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? What would you say to Jesus? Hmm? I suppose for some of us here, to even say the words of Bartimaeus, which is, I want to see, for some of us that would mean, maybe for you, would it mean what Bartimaeus meant? And that is, I I want to be healed. I want to be physically healed. I have a feeling there are some people in this worshiping audience today and who are watching on television right now, I have a feeling there are some of you. That's your, that is your main prayer for 2002. I want to be healed. Don't let anybody come to you because there will be people who say, Get over it. Get over, you're, you're not going to be healed. Just, just accept it. Embrace it. No, don't you listen to people like that. You just keep asking as long as there is breath in you because Jesus stands in front of you and He says, What do you want me to do for you? Tell Him the truth. I want, I want to be healed. Now, I suppose there's some of you not with that prayer. Maybe you're like the young leader. I mean, he is a brand new leader. He is poised on the brink of a potentially incredible career. And the same God who was in Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, this Jesus here, but before he became the baby in Bethlehem, the same Christ came to this young man one night in a dream and asked him the very same question. He said, hey, listen, boy, I want to ask you something before you begin your leadership. What would you like me to give you? And Solomon, God bless him, he made a mess of the last half of his life. But he sure had it right in the first half. And Solomon looks up in that dream to the voice that speaks to him. He says, you know, I could have wealth. Man, I could use some money. I could have fame and I could have prestige. But, oh God, you know, I'm, I'm just a boy. I wish you would give me wisdom. I need more. My life experience has not equipped me for the decisions I'm going to have to make in 2002. And, oh, God, give me divine wisdom. Please, there's some of you who may pray the prayer of Solomon. It's the same question. What can I give you? Nothing wrong with asking for wisdom. You're going to need it this year. Trust me, you're going to need it. Oh, I suppose some of you might be like uh, the other young man. You see, God spoke through his mentor. We're kind of big on mentors around here this year. God spoke to his mentor, whose name was Elijah. Elijah said, hey boy, I am about ready to leave this place before I leave. And God says, I'm going to give you the question I always ask people. And Elijah spoke it. What can I do for you? That isn't Elijah. Elijah can't give a thing. He's asking on God's behalf. And Elisha looks into the face of his mentor and he says, oh, master, master, if I could have twice as much, a double portion of your spirit. Give me a double portion. It meant a double portion that the eldest gets, meaning you inherit the, you inherit, you inherit the father's legacy. But he, some of you may be praying the actual words, Oh God, I need twice as much. I need a, Jesus, I need a double portion of your spirit. This new year, give me double the Holy Spirit, I pray. You know, when you pray the words of Bartimaeus, I want to see. Maybe for you, it really, some of you here, it's the prayer of the jailer. 
We're talking about the jailer in Philippi. You remember the earthquake? And he thinks his whole place is gone. He's going to commit suicide. And he's about to fall on a sword. And Paul says, hold it, stop. And the jailer cries out, what must I do to be saved? It may be for some of you the biggest longing you have after the way 2001 has turned out in your life. You don't even have assurance that you're saved today. You don't have the assurance that, there's, that, that your guilt can be expunged. You don't have the assurance that it can be washed away. Some of you are still dragging 2001 into 2002. And you need to know that there is one who washes clean to the core if you ask. What can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? This new year, what are you going to say? Huh? What are you going to say? You look at the story of old Bartimaeus and you realize here is a grand story that makes a simple and clear point for the Christian journey. And that is simply and clearly this. You've got to ask. You have, you have, come on, is this complicated? You have to ask. You see, that's the problem with us Westerners. Hey, I am an individual. There is so much uh, uh, independence. We are so individualistic in this society, this postmodern society, that it really, for some of us, it is humbling to ever admit that we have a need. I mean, it's galling. I know in my own life, there will be times I will cast around, kick around. I am trying to get to a solution. Something is wrong within me, and I'm trying to come to a solution. And you know what? I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I don't even ask. I just say, I, this is, I, I can handle this. Just let me handle it. Give me some time. And it always gets worse, huh? It gets worse. You know, Jesus does this with person after person in the gospel story. Don't you think Jesus knows what Bartimaeus wants? Do you think Jesus said, hey man, why, why is this guy, why is this guy interrupting me? I got to get to Jerusalem. What in the world does he want? Do you think Jesus did not know? Of course he knew. But Jesus always, in a moment like that, will give an opportunity for you to articulate your need and then express your faith. I know what you need. I know exactly what you need for 2002, but until you tell me. I want you, come on, you tell me what it is you need. James chapter 4, we have not because we ask not. Jesus says, please, articulate your need. Yeah, you're going to have to get down on your knees. I know it's humbling, but you know, that's the only way I can do anything for you if you really need me. Articulate your need, express your faith. I believe, Jesus, you can do it. You know, I, I, I believe that's why the little book is still on the New York Times bestseller list. It's phenomenal. This, this book has just blown the publishing world apart. They can't figure out why is this little book, The Prayer of Jabez, still selling. Now, I have read some critiques of that book. I mean, ungracious, horrendous critiques. And I feel so sorry for Bill, uh, Bruce Wilkinson, who all he wanted to do was just write a little book on this prayer. And they ripped it apart in the Christian press and the secular press. But do you know what, ladies and gentlemen? The reason the book keeps selling in the United States, it's still on the bestseller list, is because it has touched a chord in our proud, independent American hearts. And it has told us that if we will articulate our need and if we will express our faith, God is released to do what He could never do if we didn't ask. Yeah. So that's why the prayer, what is it? First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, Jabez prayed to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would, how's it go? Oh, that you would 
Bless me indeed. I want, what, what is it you want from me? Oh, that you would bless me indeed and that you would expand my, expand my territory. God, I don't want a bigger portfolio just to make me richer. I wish you would expand my portfolio in 2002 so that I can do more for your kingdom. I don't want to be brighter. I don't want, to, I don't want another degree just so that people say, Oh, wow, isn't he, isn't she something? No, I want to help you expand your kingdom on earth. God, expand my territory. That your hand would be, that your hand would be with me. I, I can't go alone. Oh, and please lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That you would keep me from evil. And please don't let me embarrass you this year. That I might not cause pain. Please, it's a beautiful prayer. Jesus asked Bartimaeus. He asked Jabez. He asked you. He asked me. What do you want me to do for you? What are we going to say? I got to share this with you. Uh, we don't have a screen for us to put it on today, but I want you to just put it on the screen of your mind. One sentence long. You can do this. These words written back in, uh, in the 19th century. Listen to this. All who feel their need of Christ, as did blind Bartimaeus. All who feel their need of Christ, as did blind Bartimaeus. And who will be as earnest and determined as he was, will, like him, receive the blessing which they crave. End quote. Oh, I see, that's the problem. When you don't put the quotation, you know, when you have it up here, you can kind of concentrate. Your mind focuses. That went right by you, didn't it? Let me run, let me run it by you again. There are three parts to it. Number one, all who feel their need. Do you have a need? Do you have a need from Jesus for 2002? Yes, you do. All who feel their need. Number two, and who will be as earnest and determined as old Bartimaeus. You've got to keep asking. Yell it out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All who feel their need, all who will be as earnest as Bartimaeus, number three, will, like him, receive the blessing they crave. Not that they kind of hope for. They crave. Do you have something you crave for this new year? Do you? Take it to him. Tell him. Now, folks, this is, not a, this is not an invitation for some kind of blank check to a divine Santa Claus. Oh, God, give me everything I ask for this new year. No, he's not that foolish. No parent will do that to a child. Did your children get everything they asked for for Christmas? The answer is no. No. But he knows what you long for most. You know, when they tore... How would you like to have been Peter? I mean, you are Peter living in Capernaum, and when they tore the roof apart, you remember, in Peter's house... Wouldn't that make you mad? I mean, would, would you just kind of stop? Hey! They tore the roof apart because the crowd was too, it was too thick inside. And they lowered that paralytic. You remember, they lowered the paralytic to Jesus. Jesus looks into the face of that paralytic. And do you know what? The, the most passionate craving of that paralytic at that moment is not for his healing. It's not healing at all. Jesus reads it. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He reads it. And he says, son, I know what you want. Your sins are forgiven. And the man just collapsed. Just this glow. He could have died at that moment without physical healing. And he would have had his heart's desire. Jesus knows what you want most deeply of all. He knows. You can die. Go ahead and die. But he has for you what you want most of all before you die. He has it for you. Hallelujah. Oh, if Jesus stood in front of us this morning and He said, Hey, Dwight, what would you like me to do for you this new year? What would I say? 
What would you say? You know, what would happen, folks, if we went ahead and prayed the prayer of Bartimaeus for the new year? Look, 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 what is this? Verse 51. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. Teacher, the blind man said, I want to see. What would happen if this new year you and I prayed that prayer, I want to see, Jesus. I want to see. Now, you have to be a baby boomer to get this one. But there used to be a musical called Godspell. You baby boomers remember that one? Godspell. In Godspell, there was a song called Day by Day. Day by Day, three things I pray to see thee more, to see thee more clearly, to love thee more nearly, to follow thee more dearly day by day. The prayer begins to see thee more clearly. What do you want me to do for you this year? What would happen if we prayed the prayer, oh, Jesus... I want to see this year. It it could be that there are some ways today our eyes are shut and we are blind. I want to end with these. There are only two of them. I found two red letter lines in the New Testament, Jesus speaking, where he mentions the word eyes. And maybe he has a clue for how we ought to be praying. Let's end with these. Uh, The Gospel of St. John. One of them is in John chapter 4. Two of these. Not going to put it on the screen for you today. Just find it in your Bible. John chapter 4. Didn't bring a Bible. I forgot to tell you early on. There is the Pew Bible in front of you. There is the New King James Version. This is John chapter 4. This is a story of the woman at the well. You remember the story of the woman at the well? The fellows have gone in to get lunch. Jesus said, I'm going to stay right here. I'm too tired to walk into town and get lunch. You guys go get it and bring it here. Jesus is not only tired and thirsty, but Jesus is hungry to find blind people and open their eyes to see God. And he knows that in the heat of the day, a young woman is going to be coming. Well, she's young, maybe not so young. You look at the creases, the the crow's feet around her eyes, and you can tell she has weathered a few relationships in her life. She's a woman, she is Samaritan, and she is a fallen Samaritan. Woman, which is why she's coming at noon when the other women aren't there. But he knows she's coming. He knows that she might cry out the words, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he isn't going to miss a chance to lead anybody to God. And so he waits and she comes. And you know the story. We don't have time to relive it. You know the story. By the way, of all the people in the Gospels, did you know this? Of all the human beings in the four Gospels, she is the only one. Jesus was Utterly direct, no beating around the bush as to his messianic identity. There is no question. She says, oh, by the way, after he's confronted her as her heart is longing for this living water. She says, oh, by the way, we believe that someday the Messiah will come. And what? Jesus says, hey, I am. I am. No, not Nicodemus, not John, not Peter. Nobody got that direct of self-confession. He said it for a woman, a fallen woman. Forgiven, I am who you look for, son of David. Well, you know the story. She goes racing off. She goes to find the men in town and say, I want you to meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And when the men heard that there's a man that knows everything she ever did, they all got worried. Because <laughs> he's got names. See? And so the whole town comes out to see Jesus. The disciples come, you remember, before the town comes. And the disciples say, okay, Master, we got them golden arches. This is your meal. And Jesus says, you know, guys, I'm not hungry anymore. Thank you anyway. Somebody bring him lunch. Say, what happened here? What do you mean you're not hungry? You're the one that sent us into town to get food. He said, I've had food. You do not understand. Because for Christ, there is a deeper passion than hunger. 
For Christ, there is a longing to take one blind person and lead that blind person to the eyes open to see God. <laughs> and then Jesus speaks. Here, here comes the word. In the Greek, the word eyes is there. Now, the English kind of cleans it up, but let's go to verse 35 because the disciples are back. And Jesus says, hey, guys, I want to tell you something. Verse 35, John 4. Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends four months from now? Wrong, wrong. Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for harvest. Now, in the Greek, it literally reads, lift up the eyes of you. We just kind of papered over in the English. Lift up the eyes of you. You're blind. Would you guys open your eyes? What's he talking about? Look at verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. They are ripe and ready. And Jesus says, if only you could see like I see that the world around you is ripe and ready for me. You know, September 11. We will access it for the rest of our lives. There are a whole lot of Americans, men, women, and young adults, who are riper today than they were before September 11th. You know, I fly, I did a lot of flying in December. And I love flying because I have a captive seatmate that cannot move, the seatbelt's on, and so I have this time to fly beside him or her. And I love, I love meeting strangers. I want to find out what makes them tick. And I'm telling you, just flying in the month of December, People are asking questions. I sat by a young Toyota executive moving from Chicago, going to fly down to Phoenix. Uh, he's working with Lexus and Toyota Finance Foundation. Been going to the Greek Orthodox Church. And we fell into conversation. Just got married. We fell into conversation. I sat by flying from Durango, Colorado to Denver. Sat by a, a woman who's married to a physics professor, Ph.D. at the community college in Durango. And she had J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Lord of the Rings. And I said, oh, because I could tell she was about the same age. Reactivating those old books, huh? Getting ready for the movie. Yeah, she said, I'm trying to decide whether I want my kids to see the movie. We, the door opened right up and we fell into conversation. As soon as I got back here, sent some books off to them. Just thought I'd send, I promised I'd send you that book. People will, at the end of a conversation, and then you say, I'd like to send you a book. They'll give you their addresses just like that. I sent it to them. No, no, I'm telling you, not everybody, because I sat by some people. They don't want to talk. They don't want to be bothered. But there are people who are ripe and ready. Jesus says, if only you would open up, if, you, if your eyes would open. You know what I'd like to pray this new year? God, open, I want to see like Bartimaeus. I want to be able to look around the people in my office. I want to be able to look around the people in my neighborhood. And I want to see people that are ripe and ready for your harvest. Open my eyes that I might see. They're coming back to campus tomorrow. There's students coming by the hundreds and hundreds. Oh, God, open my eyes as a teacher that when they come into my classroom, I can see whether they're ripe or ready or not. Open my eyes. There's one other line. We'll end with this one. There's one other line. It's in the book of Acts. You say, wait a minute, Dwight. Hold it. There's no red letter line in the book of Acts. That's after Jesus. That's the New Testament church. You're right. But Paul is telling his life story. And he tells about Jesus. So we'll end with this. Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. He's in front of King Agrippa. Paul is manacled and shackled. But he's going to use the word eyes again. Jesus will use the word eyes. You see, we're asking, Jesus, we want to pray the prayer of Bartimaeus. We want to see. John 4 tells us seeing means to see the harvest. But there's another seeing that Jesus reminds us of. And Paul, in front of 
King Agrippa, who's a Jewish king, Paul is telling the story of his life before Christ and how he meets Christ and his life after Christ. But it's how he meets Christ that catches my eye. Because he tells a story about Damascus Road and how this light just pounded into the ground. And he hears his voice and he looks up and his eyes are seared and he goes blind. But the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Paul's telling this to the king. Verse 16, the voice goes on. Now stand up. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about this experience and about other times that I will appear to you. I will protect you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Now, that's code word for lost. Here comes verse 18. I'm going to send you the lost. Now, read verse 18. To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? That is what God lives for. God lives for the blind being able to see the light of His love again. I want you to go, boy. I want you to go, girl. And I want you to open. I'm going to, through you, open their eyes that they might see again. Do you know what it's like to be lost? I mean, we're lost, and some of us in a respectable kind of way that doesn't bother us. But do you know what it's like to be really, really lost? I read over the holiday a story of an attorney, a very successful, affluent attorney, who became an alcoholic. Sad, sad story. Lost everything. Lost his marriage. Lost his kids. Puking, puking, puking. Ending up in detox center after detox center. Had it not been for a benevolent and loving senior partner in his firm, his whole career would have washed down like stale whiskey through the tubes. Do you know what it's like to be morally, spiritually blind and lost? I didn't have to read about it, though, because also over the holiday, I ended up in somebody's house in this community. And I saw a man, bitter sobs and tears. He is morally lost, spiritually bankrupt, and he is sobbing. And I said to myself, whoa, this man needs Jesus right now. The guy was lost. The guy is lost. We forget that that's what God lives with night and day. You come to me. We're friends. Help me, please. I have them all over this community. You don't have to go to New Guinea anymore. You don't have to go to Africa. You stay right here. Go to work next week. They'll be there for you. Go to work. Go to school next week. They'll be there for you. They're blind. Morally and spiritually. But I am sending you that their eyes might open. And that they might, I love this, they will receive forgiveness for their sins. And be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Wow. I'm going to send you. So that you, sir, will help me open those eyes. They'll be forgiven. They'll become a part of a family. They'll be saved. Oh, you say, oh, come on, Dwight. I, I, I don't know how to do this. I mean, it takes a technique, and you're preaching. That's why you have it. But I do not have it. I don't know. You know what, my friend? I am so excited about this. We just started them a, a few weeks ago. They're called Christ, Contagious Christianity Seminars. My friend Brian Bondarpowski, our personal ministries director, along with the co-teachers, Pastors Skip, Pastor Esther, are teaching this seminar teaching the seminar 
offering some very down-to-earth and practical ways you can meet a blind person on the job, in your, at play, in your school, in the neighborhood, and you can actually take that blind person by the hand and li- personally lead that blind person to Jesus who will open that man's eyes. Personally, you can do it. You say, I cannot. Yes, you can. And by the way, it'll take your personality just the way you are. You won't have to become another person. You can be the way God has already wired you, and they're going to teach you how to be successful. We are so excited about this that uh, we put a little something in the bulletin today, and I simply will draw your attention to it before I sit down. In the, in the handout, you know the handout in the middle of the Pioneer People, our newsletter, a pastor's page, on this, on this panel right here, there's a survey. We got a whole bunch of these. I'm delighted. First Church. You know what I wish you'd do? I wish you'd fill this simple little survey out because we want to know when could we offer this seminar? In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, so that you could take advantage of becoming equipped to lead blind people so that Christ can open their eyes. I want to there is no greater experience in this life than the joy. We'll get into this next Sabbath. We'll get into it next Sabbath because you know we're going to begin next Sabbath in tandem with this ongoing seminar that we're going to offer over and over and over and over and over until Jesus comes. You know we're going to begin next Sabbath a new series called The Contagious Christian. How to share seven cheerful, attractive, attractive reasons why you are what you are as a Seventh-day Adventist. I hope you'll join us next week. Seven attractive, cheerful reasons how to do it in an intelligent, logical way. Take the, take the edge out of it. Contagious Adventist, contagious Christianity. Would you take a moment, put this in my hand as you leave today or one of our leaders standing at the doors as you exit today. Just fill this out. It takes you two seconds. Just circle the days that would be best in your busy schedule. We will try to tailor-make the seminar to fit your very active life. What's the big deal, Dwight? I'll tell you what the big deal is, folks. The big deal is Jesus is the great healer of the blind and He is the Savior of the world and every person you and I lock eyes with is loved by God and every blind person who can't lock eyes is a candidate for Jesus' healing salvation. That's the big deal. We've got to share Jesus with our world this year. And so, dear God, we pray the prayer of Bartimaeus. Be our vision, for we want to see. And now glory be to Him whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory be to Him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.